in Trenton at 479-4269 or brparley at gmail.com. Why do listeners become WERU members? What motivates them to take that step? One reason is a desire to make a difference. It turns out that a lot of people who listen to WERU are the same people who like to get involved in activities to improve the communities in which they live. Giving to WERU is one of those activities. Your new membership today will not only pay for the programs you listen to, it also creates the opportunity for someone else in your neighborhood to discover community radio. So please join us. The process takes minutes. The benefits last a long time. Contribute by calling 469-6600 during weekday business hours or give online at weru.org. Boat Talk is brought to you in part by Captain Yo's Flaming Fish Performance Models, handmade miniature wooden sailing vessels, on the web at flamingfish.net, little ships for big kids. Support for Boat Talk also comes from Front Street Shipyard, a Midcoast, Maine boat building, repair, and storage facility located in Belfast. Front Street Shipyard on Penobscot Bay, offering dockage, service, and amenities for owners, captains, and crew. Online at frontstreetshipyard.com or 930-3740. The time's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org. Boat Talk with your host, Alan Sprague, is up next. Schooner Fair right there, piping in Boat Talk here on Community Radio WERU-FM, Blue Hill 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, and on the internet at weru.org. Boat Talk is a call-in show for people contemplating things naval with only one rusty anchor this week. I'm Alan Sprague. Uh, on the hook for one hour while Mike Joyce is uh, off to Nova Scotia on delivery today. Uh, delivery will probably only take about 24 hours, but unfortunately the the weather has dictated that uh, today is the day that he leaves. Uh, he's going today because um, he's taking over a boat that's been sitting in Castine for about three years, so the uh, boat is... Uh, he wants to motor the boat across, and so it has three-year-old fuel in the tank, and he's hoping for some fairly flat water so the, all the crud and everything that collects in the bottom of the tank doesn't get up, stirred up too badly. So this is kind of like a part one of a two-part story I'm telling right now. Uh, this is before Mike leaves, or the situation that Mike is in right now probably, uh, of going out in the ocean with uh, old fuel. It's always a, a, a sketchy a sketchy uh, decision to make. Nowadays, there is a thing called fuel polishers. It's a, a pump, an electric pump that uh, one of the boat is plugged into a, or tied up to a pier, and you have electric power. You can put this hose down into your fuel tank, and it sucks the water out, runs it through filters, and then puts it back into the fuel tank, and you leave that circulating like that for a few hours and it cleans out the fuel 
it, theoretically, it's called fuel polishing. Mike didn't do that. We're going to have to uh, hear his stories as to whether he makes it or not. He's taking with him a few extra fuel filters to uh, filter the fuel boat. Who knows? We'll find out in the uh, October edition of Boat Talk on how, uh, how sailing with old fuel is going to go for Mike. One other thing uh, I'd like to quickly uh, comment on is uh, last month I announced that uh, a good decision had been made for the whales. The United States court had uh, finally ruled that the Navy's use of low-frequency array sonar, that's the sonar that has very low uh, frequency to it, travels very long distances and is quite strong. The uh, federal court has uh, banned uh, the use of the low-frequency sonar, so I said that was good news for whales. Uh, right at the very end of the show, didn't have time to comment on it. We got a, an e email from our friend Russell Ray, who lives down in Hancock, and he commented on, on my uh, good news for whale little diatribe. Russell's uh, comment is this, quote, First, this decision, while definitely a good thing, is dealing only with the Navy's use of low-frequency array sonar and does nothing regarding the Navy's use of mid-frequency active sonar. Most of the mass strandings that we know about have been caused by the Navy's use of sonar is from the mid-frequency sonar, not the low-frequency sonar. Also worth mentioning is the fact that what was being contested in court was the Navy's peacetime training, testing, and routine operations of low-frequency array sonar. The Navy is still free to use that sonar without any restrictions in times of heightened threats. That's a um, little bit nebulous term, but an example is the Persian Gulf they're using it. So by no means is a complete ban on low-frequency sonar. We'll see how the lower cart resolves this case. That's unquote from Russell Ray. Thank you very much, Russell. We always need to be vigilant. One other thing that's coming up, and uh, Lori, you may know about this too, uh, is at the end of the month in Bucksport, or um, uh, the International Maritime Film Festival will be happening at the end of the month. They're having mm. eight movies uh, to be shown over uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, October uh, September 30th to October 2nd. Um, they've been screening 26 different uh, applicator submissions from all around the world of uh, books or movies about uh, some sort of maritime-related theme. And there's only going to be eight films in the screening, so there must be some pretty good ones. I looked quickly at their website, which is MaritimeFilmFestival.com, to see what movies are going to be there. And they're going to have an interesting one that's concerned about the, the gyres, you know, the uh, Pacific and the Atlantic gyre. Well, I guess there's five gyres in the middle of the ocean that are like collecting locals? collecting plastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, in a movie, a feature-length movie on uh, gyres and plastic, uh, they're going to be having an interesting movie about the uh, Whitbread race, which is now the Volvo race, where a lot of people with too much money uh, build boats to race around the world. Um, 
this one, this movie is about a uh, fellow from Mexico who was just a weekend sailor, and everybody was making fun of him to, to enter the race, and he ends ends up winning. So yeah. it must be an interesting movie. Uh, there's going to be uh, a movie that I didn't know about, but it sounds quite interesting about the uh, John Wilson and the origins of uh, Wooden Boat Magazine. Oh, how lovely! Yeah, yeah. Uh, that sounds quite interesting. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be a uh, Movies about traditional boat building, and then one of the uh, boat talk favorites. They're going to be showing again the Raw Faith movie. Did you ever uh, hear? Yes, the I covered the Raw Faith as it was under construction. What a fascinating project that was! Yeah, fascinating and tragic, and kind of in the in the end there. Yeah. Fortunately, nobody was was uh, hurt. Right. Physically, but. Right. Um, but the family that was doing it was quite passionate about it, as I recall. Yeah. Father, uh, kind of leading up the project and the. The kids uh, helping out. Yeah. 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 It was a basically a family project that they, they got temporary volunteer work, but mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> the construction was questionable. But his uh, his mission was, as you say, was quite strong. Yep. Raw Faith movie is going to be part of the International Film Festival. It's all happening at uh, September 30th through the 2nd. The website, again, in case you're interested in getting tickets, is the MaritimeFilmFestival.com. Is that going to be at the Alamo? It is going to be... Um, I have to read quickly through this. I, it, the Alamo Theater in Bucksport, Yes. I'm not surprised that they selected Bucksport as the venue because the Northeast Historic Film Place <laughs> Foundation or whatever it is that's associated with the Alamo does a terrific job of um, collecting and curating historic films. Yes. I, I would imagine that they're perhaps a sponsor or part they of They are co-sponsors along with Wooden Boat Magazine. Yeah. So yeah. there's two, <laughs> a lot two of sense. very right. credible organizations that are going to make this a, a very interesting uh, very interesting film festival. Right. Um, had to give credit too to the Maine Community Foundation, which gave them a, a, a fairly good grant to put this on too. So mm-hmm. I think the, the Maine Community Foundation does a lot for for the state of Maine. So credit to them. So let's get right around to uh, Lori Schreiber and the boat builders of Mount Desert Island. Yeah. Uh, I guess. I'm going to guess the uh, same building that you and I are familiar with on the end, of, uh, the outer end of Bass Harbor, that used to be an ice house, was probably your original inspiration for boat builders or thinking about boat building. Well, it was definitely an inspiration. Uh, that was uh, where Sim Davis built boats right. in 1940s to 1970-something. Um, my original inspiration, though, was having covered for the Bar Harbor Times for many years. Um, Boat building operations, uh, you know, through uh, the 90s and The maritime 2000s. beat. Yeah, yes. the maritime beat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, many, many boat builders on MDI from the, you know, the one-off folks in their garage to uh, the big companies. Right. And, um, you know, it just occurred to me to wonder about the history <laughs> behind all of that. Uh-huh. Um, you and the Boat Talk guys both have the same, what we call the golden key, where we can go up to various boat builders or companies and say, hey, uh, these are my credentials. Uh, if we uh, talk with you and take a look around, and everybody's yeah, very open, and, and it's uh, it's been a great, great experience. Uh, I'm yeah. sure you have had some good times, too, talking with uh, 
especially the little shops, ones that are, you know, sort of tucked in around the corner that you really wouldn't know about, like Chummy Rich's shop way up at the head of the harbor. You almost have to know how to get there to, to get to his old shop. Yes, that's exactly right. And I did uh, have uh, relationships with uh, folks. I knew all the players. Um, and so, you know, I was able to go to Chummy, for example, and ask him about his father, Bobby Rich, and his mm-hmm. grandfather, and then his uncles, Ronald and Roger Rich, who also had shops um, in Southwest Harbor. And um, Chummy had, uh, still has a fat album just, you know, spilling out with old photographs and old clippings and documents and his father's logs that he kept of all the boats he built. And he just kind of opened up that album. Rich Humpke, who owns that business now, uh, has been curating that album, fortunately, mm-hmm. um, kind of uh, preserving those documents and keeping them safe and scanning them into the computer. Oh, good. Yep. So uh, besides... The riches in Bass Harbor, there are some other other riches just around the coast there, too. Uh, uh, James and Merton. Yes, James and Merton Rich. And there were also five Rich Brothers, uh, which was news to me. I was was aware of a lot of the uh, boat building shops uh, back uh, in the present and back in history, but I had never heard of the uh, five Rich Brothers who ran a shop called Rich Brothers um, on uh, the Richtown Road and um, building uh, boats from about the 1930s to the 1950s. And uh, quite a remarkable clan with a whole kind of family compound that way, working farm, and then they'd had the the barn and the shop attached to it. Yeah, and their own... Their own cove, basically. Yes, and it was just another branch of the Rich family. You know, they kind of uh, split the branches, various branches kind of split off way back in the, you know, starting in Revolutionary War days. Um, And (laughs) uh, to the extent where, um, you know, sometimes they don't know exactly uh, where they're connected. Yeah, yeah. Some of them I, I are fairly well interested in their family history. Other ones are, you know, you say, how long have you been, you know, how many generations? And they'll say, oh, a few. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> it just, just seems natural for them. It's, uh, <clears throat> as you say, it's kind of like a little uh, very microcosm of boat building uh not only having the boat building cove and the shops right there that you launch right directly into the water, mm-hmm. um, that you have a, a farm where you you know you also got your sustenance when the weather was good too. Yeah, it was all bound up in in the whole way of life. As you say, people didn't just build boats; they then you know went fishing in the summer or uh, uh, chartered uh, took charter tours, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I remember Chummy saying it was hard for him to find help in the summer because they were all fishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, let's uh, go a little bit further north into Southwest Harbor and uh, Ralph and and his son Richard. Richard has been on this show and I was quite um, fascinated by his new concept of uh, making wooden hulled boats with a fiberglass top. It certainly seems like a, well, I don't know if I want to say revolutionary idea, but it's uh, forward thinking, I guess, was kind of a neat thing. It's uh, that in boat building, wooden boat building, particularly the, the tops usually 
start to deteriorate before the bottom. So why not make a fiberglass top that would last longer? Yeah. And, and you you probably saw some of uh, the one that he has under construction there while you were talking with him, Richard. Uh, haven't no, he didn't have anything under construction at that point. Um, I believe he has. Uh, yeah, he does now. He has one under construction now. Yeah. Um, he was uh, working on a. Uh, an old uh, friendship sloop, a hundred-year-old friendship sloop, whose name escapes me at the moment, um, when I interviewed him. Um, yeah, uh, Richard is real grounded in the wooden boat building industry uh, through his father, Friendship sloops especially. Yes. Yeah, and motorboats. Um, and, you know, just being around his father, Ralph Stanley, and all the other older wooden boat builders. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Richard, um, you know, shared his memories of that whole scene and also his talked about his passion for wooden boat building. Um, but he did, uh, I guess, uh, have this kind of idea percolating of having a wooden hull because it, the ride just uh, feels uh, so much better than a fiberglass, the pounding of the fiberglass hull. Yes, yes. But having a fiberglass top because that was easier maintenance. Right, yep, yeah, yeah. I, I saw him at the uh, the uh, main fisherman's forum uh, last year, kind of uh, you know, kind of marketing that concept. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, I forgot to mention that uh, the phone number. I did say it was a call-in show, but uh, for anybody who is interested in joining the conversation, um, any questions, comments, no matter where you want to go, one eight hundred. No, excuse me, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight is the number into boat talk. So back to um, Southwest Harbor, um, Richard um, and Ralph. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is other boat builders there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Henry Hinckley yeah. comes to mind. Yes, Henry <laughs> Hinckley does come to mind. Yeah, I. Uh, I started there shortly after they switched over to fiberglass, but yeah. there are some very nice old pictures of uh, the, the real boat builders back then building wooden boats. That yeah. You must have spent a lot of time in the uh, library at the Southwest Harbor going through all those photographs. I did. The Southwest Harbor Library has a terrific, fantastic <laughs> digital archive. It's still ongoing. They're still taking in photographs, and they'll take you know, everything that folks have. Um, you know, this collection of thousands and thousands of old photos documenting the history of uh, Southwest Harbor, Tremont, and, and other places on MDI, other places in Maine as well. And, um, yeah, I, I poured through um, old, they have them categorized, so I was able to go directly to, you know, uh, boat building shops or what have you, or mm-hmm. old boats or whatever. That's that's very interesting. That so you were able to use any of those photographs without having to pay any sort of royalty or anything like that to, to the library? Um, uh, they very generously allowed me to use some of those photographs. Yeah. Um, I, it was kind of a reciprocal relationship. I was able to also, because of my research, I was able to also feed in, um, for example, the uh, the Rich Brothers on Richtown um, 
I, I was able to interview an offspring from them and, and secure her um, old albums and then feed them into the Southwest Harbor Library Digital Archive. So it was a reciprocal relationship. Yeah, yep. yeah. well, it's very nice of them to offer that whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, going to change back a little bit to uh, back to Bass Harbor and Sim Davis. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine from Florida has just called up Stewart down in uh, St. Augustine, yeah. and he uh, knows uh, or can remember Sim Davis too. Good morning, Stu. Hey, good morning, Alan. How are you? Hello, Laura. Hi, Hopefully Stuart. We never met. <laughs> Well, welcome to Boat Talk. Thanks. This is really cool. It's a great program. Well, yeah, it is fun. It's been going on for a lot of years. Um, I don't know if you were listening just a little while ago, but we were talking about the uh, the building that Sim Davis used to use down in Bass Harbor. and uh, You're familiar with that, too. Why don't you uh, give your history of that? Oh, the building. Yeah, let's see. Um, well, let's see. Uh, there are a few uh, interesting pieces of history there. Uh, I had a couple of... Uh, interesting people stopped by that were on their way out to Swans Island. They'd come to the ferry and be waiting for the ferry, and they'd wander over and, you know, walk into the shop and stuff. And two or three different people on uh, different occasions, uh, totally unrelated in my mind anyway, they uh, would stop in and they'd talk, talk stories about uh, some of the things that Timmy did. And one of them was he built a boat, and uh, it was in the shop, and they, he just... Uh, Prior to launch, he, was, he wanted to see if it balanced well. Big wooden boat. I guess it was about a 38, 40-footer. And uh, he just kicked out all the supports, and it balanced right there in its keel. <laughs> 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 and the grace, they, I, I, seriously, three different people told me that story. Wow. And, they, and uh, then I, I guess I don't know what else they had to do to launch a boat out of there. But I remember we, we floored it over. There was a floor over the over the old uh, skids, you know, yep. where we just kicked the big doors out in the back, and it and the boats would launch right out the back there. But, yeah, so he let it balance right there. He, he's, the other thing about him, he's a real character, was uh, he got in a lot of trouble with the FCC with his ham radio. Uh, I don't know if you remember any of that, Alan. A break, a break, a break, Yeah, I do yeah. remember. Yeah. yeah, I'll never forget. I went in there one, one. It was a Saturday afternoon or Friday afternoon. He was out on his back deck there in the porch, and a closed-in porch he had. It looked out over on the Lopez Point from the next to the marina there, next to the boatyard. And uh, he would, uh, <clears throat> he, he had. I think he was nipping on a little wine or something. He had a little cup going, and uh, he said uh, he looked over me. and He says, "Hey, that sounds like a gray ghost out there. Let me see if we can catch him." So he. He gets on the radio and he goes, break up, break up, brickety boat. This is the old double B on the foggy rock found coast of Maine. <laughs> How about that gray ghost? You out there, you got your ears on gray ghosts? And you go on like that. So anyway, he was he was quite a guy. I, I really enjoyed knowing him. He should have been a radio DJ. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the cool things about that building is you go upstairs to the upper story loft and you can still see the lines of the last boat that was uh, lofted up there. Yep, and he had a he had a small narrow gauge railroad uh, uh, locomotive that he used to, uh, to generate steam for the big steam box that was up on the lot there. Huh. Yeah, and uh, when uh, Rob and his brother in law took the place over, they um, he just hauled it off to the dump. And I was like, geez, that's really kind of a sad thing. Huh. Big beautiful bandsaw too. I think uh, Rusty Bradford ended up with that. The bandsaw actually stayed on the property. And, it did. Oh, good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was a beauty. That was a, a big one. Yes, it was a, a the the blade on it was eighteen feet six inches long. Uh huh. 
He cut some big wood with that, yeah, some big timbers. Yeah, yeah. I'm very familiar with that old man song. Yeah. I was told that he mainly worked by himself. Is that is that true in your experience, guys? Yeah, yeah. As far as I knew, he, he did, and he, every now and then somebody come in and give him a hand with some stuff. I think I think uh, Chummy Rich from up the harbor would be there once in a while. Yeah. But um, he wasn't building boats when I was there. In fact, uh, they, the property changed hands when he when he launched the last boat. It was uh, like a 40-foot uh, trawler-type boat with a flybridge on it. Mm. Yeah. I remember, the, remember seeing that, yeah. photos of it anyway. I can't imagine working in that building in the wintertime. It, was, it had, did have a wood stove at one end, but it was a very large building with absolutely no insulation and... Uh, I think, yeah. but get about more than three or four inches away from the stove would be pretty chilly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, um, um, he had arthritis pretty bad. His hands were all all wrecked up pretty bad um, yeah. at the end. I mean, he couldn't he couldn't really hold tools anymore and stuff like that. And and also, um, one of the other really nice features of that of that building was the uh, executive washroom. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Flushes twice a day. Oh, uh, you're looking good, Alan. Well, thank you, Stu. It's good talking to you. Yeah, same here. Thanks. Uh, thanks for keeping me in mind. I really, uh, really enjoy it. I'll be checking into your program more often now. Thanks. Now that I know I can do it. Yeah, you can get listen to Boat Talk uh, by just going to weru.org and go to the uh, the the archive section on the, under the headers at the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot. I'll, I'll give you a phone call a little later sometime this week. Uh, just curious uh, how you made out with those other folks we were talking about. Oh, great. All right, have a good one. 1-866-625-9378 if you'd like to join the conversation. It doesn't have to be about Sim Davis or boat builders or even boats. We're just uh, generally talking about what it's like to be on the water and uh, to work on the water. Lori is a professional writer, and you've been writing about maritime subjects for quite a few years now. You're getting to be a, quite a local authority. Well, I guess so, yeah. The beat was kind of handed to me way back, and uh, I kind of grabbed it and ran with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Once One tough side of this is covering the fisheries nowadays and all the uh, uh, us versus them that's happening between the uh, the fishermen and the uh, the authorities, as it were, it's a, a, a guys an ongoing story for people who are re- reporting on it. Well, it is an ongoing story, and the issues are, are ongoing. Um, I always kind of object to the us versus them perspective. I I've covered many countless uh, meetings and uh, chatted with people over the years, and um, you know I've I think that from the human scenario standpoint, it's always. It's always been people just trying to do their best, uh, you know, people trying to make a living in their respective fields and trying to communicate um, with, you know, that other person mm-hmm. um, and trying to come to some understanding. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, do you drive all the way down to Massachusetts to cover some of these things, too? You must cover a fairly large area doing your reporting. No, 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 no. not really. No. I know saw some of the uh the meetings were actually in uh, Massachusetts. So. Well, you know, 
Good old internet. Uh, <laughs> they all stream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they post the uh, the minutes from the meetings, and you go from that. They they post post the audio. You know, you can either live stream it or you can grab it later. Um, listen to the audio huh. on the internet. Huh. Okay. Um, one other thing that I was going to talk about too was the. Um, Well, I guess we'll, we'll we'll go back to the Maritime Film Festival that's happening down in uh, at the Alamo Theater in Bucksport, uh, September 30th through the 2nd. One of the uh, interesting movies also is going to be uh, uh, a traditional boat building. Uh, it's kind of like a documentary. The uh, one of the Faroe Islands, I believe, way over in Scotland, or some of the islands that are way offshore, uh, boat building was pretty much a, uh, I guess I'll call it indigenous enterprise. They used uh, tools and materials that were right there at hand to make all their, their boats. And that has become, a uh, unfortunately, a, a dying uh, tradition, and there's only one person left doing it. So this is a documentary of him. Uh, showing what he probably will be his last boat that he builds there. So it's almost a, uh, an educational film, I guess, too, for people who uh, want to see how it used to be. And I think probably that's kind of uh, what's happening here on Mount Desert Island, too, is yeah. that there are fewer and fewer people who really do know how to do the thing from laying a keel all the way up to putting on the finishing paint. Yeah, yeah. Although there are shops, that, there are schools in Maine that uh, continue to um, cultivate wooden boat building. The apprentice shop comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, my, I don't Wooden know. boat school, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, is almost all of them are centered around building very small boats. True. And uh, uh, the, the big boat building uh, with a steaming huge you know, two-inch thick planks and all that sort of stuff is uh, unfortunately becoming a, 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 a thing of the past. True. Richard Stanley was taking on apprentices. I'm sure if anybody wanted to contact him, he'd uh, take on somebody. <laughs> that would probably be, a, yes, for people who want to learn how to build bigger boats. Yeah. That, that is probably the way to go. Um, I see in your book right there that you have a picture of the uh, the building that uh, Stu and I were talking about, and you have been talking about too. Yep. This one right here with the boat uh, about ready to go down the ways out of the building. Out of the building. That's the Liberty Bell um, that was headed down to uh, Gloucester, I believe. I'm trying to read this with my bad glasses on. My memory doesn't work so well anymore. These are pictures um, that you uh, got from the Southwest Harbor Library? These are pictures I got from Sim's uh, grandson, Michael Dawes, who lives in China, Maine. Huh. Yeah, and um, I was able to, uh, this was one of those reciprocal things, I was able to, you know, kind of uh, uh, send them over to the Southwest Harbor Library. Yeah. Um, actually, this particular photo I see is from the Tremont Historical Society. Um, but yeah, Sim was very well respected amongst fishermen, both in Maine and Massachusetts. Uh, there were quite a few fishermen in Massachusetts who had him build a boat. Um, there's uh, one story I was able to tell about a fellow named Manuel Thomas, who was a fisherman down in uh, Provincetown. Um, his Manuel's son Tom uh, had uh, 
had uh, I was able to chat with him and uh, uh, learn about the, the Tom was five years old uh, when he <laughs> and his family, his father and the family, uh, came up for the christening at Sims shop of the Joan and Tom picture huh. right here of the Joan and Tom in the book. Um, and, uh, you know, Tom had very, you know, childish impressions of Sim. He's a wonderful man with a big yeah. smile. Um, but, yeah, then uh, Tom put me in touch with a fellow named Salvador Vasquez down, I believe, in Gloucester, who is putting, who is uh, kind of collecting and preserving old photos down that way, um, doing the same thing that yeah. the Southwest Harbor Library and Tremont Historical is doing up here. There's quite a few organizations now along the coast who are uh, getting uh, reference libraries, we'll call it, of uh, mostly photographs, but also some uh, some drawings, too. That's right. <clears throat> yeah. The uh, boats that we're looking or talking about now, the ones that Simi used to build in the, so say, 60 to 100-foot range, yeah. nowadays are all uh, steel. And uh, I should think it would be interesting to... Uh, to ride in a steel boat and then go for a ride in a wooden boat of the same size and hear the, uh, feel the difference, hear the difference. I'm sure the steel boats must be more noisy and uh, probably even colder too because the uh, the cold water around here would transfer right through the hull of a steel boat. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not really uh, the technical expert on the storytelling <laughs> <Yeah>. person. <laughs> So one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. If you'd like to join Boat Talk here on Community Radio W E R U F M, we're talking with Laurie Schreiber, uh, author and uh, professional writer. I guess we'll have to call it because you do write a lot of uh, uh, reporting type uh, literature, which I don't know if that qualifies as author or not. But I, I'd call it an author. A journalist. Same yeah. skill. Yeah, journalist slash reporter, whatever. Journalist, yeah. yes. Freelance. And also, uh, we have the Boat Talk email website open, too, boattalk at gmail.com, if you'd like to uh, to try to send an email message while you're listening. That would be a, a way that works, too, boattalk at gmail.com. We have uh, one uh, email message already. Um, he had a question about the the music that we opened up the uh, the show with too. That was Schooner Fair doing a, a tune that they call "Eyes the By." I'm not sure just which uh, of their CDs it comes from. That's Schooner Fair, F-A-I-R-E, um, a group that who uh, are friends of Boat Talk, and they uh, donated uh, the rights to use that that tune from them. Thank you very much, Schooner Fair. <coughs> He just uh, was looking for an answer to that question. Yes, there you go, Jason. The answer is Schooner Fair. one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight or boattalk at gmail.com. Either way, it works fine. We're talking with Laurie Schre Schreiber about boat building on Mount Desert Island. Uh, it's funny how a lot of the boat builders along the Mount Desert Island are all kind of in the southern half of the island. Southwest Harbor and Tremont. Yeah, pretty much Southwest Harbor and Tremont. Yeah. yeah the, the, there's the uh, the Rockefeller boat house over in Seal Harbor, but I'm not sure exactly how much boat building really went on there. But that that may have been a boat building shop <clears throat> in in the past. Oh, wow, that's news to me. I didn't know that. 
Mm. Oh, you, you can see it when you drive by Seal Harbor out yeah. there. Huh. I bet you that at one point there was probably some sort of ways down there. Yeah. Even if they only made skiffs. But um, Also, uh, there's not just Mount Desert Island, too. There's the uh, the cranberries just offshore. Yeah. And uh, Steve Sperling, probably one of the most uh, well-known of the boat builders. who uh, is he still building today? I, yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he's worked on uh, small skiffs and dinghies and, and what have you. He, um, he is about, I think he must be 94 uh, or 95 at this point. And he makes very, very nice-looking skiffs. Incredible, yeah. Nice details with that one from Steve Steve Sperling. Yeah. Um, what, one of the... Uh, things I like about your book too is that there are lots of pictures I'm, I'm a, a visually oriented guy in this you know pictures worth a thousand words and it's great to look through your book and see all these pictures that as you said took a lot of research to find oh I wish I could have included more pictures there were thousands of photos that I kind of culled through uh, every one of them just wonderful and and you know telling uh, giving a little glimpse of the life and not just the um you know the boat pictures or the uh you know, a boat being built in the shop pictures, but you know the the people and the uh, life in the community uh, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the families, uh, because the families, uh, you know, they were all wrapped into it and supported it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that there were probably back, um, probably before World War II, when there weren't so much child labor laws, there <laughs> were <laughs> plenty of little kids. Um, helping out in the shop there. Well, going back to Richard Stanley, a, a kind of a favorite photo is, uh, shows Richard at age three uh, with a little child-sized broom. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, helping her, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> huh. So um, are there any other, any? I guess uh, we've covered several boat builders but do you have any personal favorites of, of the uh, the ones in your book that you'd like to comment on well i'm uh, how many how many are there total in there that do you i've pl- got yeah uh i mean 12 kind of except uh, that there was a uh, 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 bink sergeant yeah at who the end founded, you, you mentioned several others yeah southwest bink sergeant uh bought um Chester Clements a shop uh, in Southwest Harbor and um, before Chester and Chester was a very well known very well respected builder in his day kind of uh, one of the forerunners of the lobster yacht and before Chester there was Andrew Parker and then before Andrew there was Sim Mayo and so that's a series of boat builders all on the same site mm-hmm. starting around 1900 that became uh, Southwest Boat uh, under Bink Sargent, and is still Southwest Boat today, although they don't build boats now. Yeah. Yeah. Southwest Boat, <laughs> um, I hope I don't get into trouble saying this, but when I first moved there, they had fairly a rough reputation. Uh, some guys there that were, uh, uh, I guess, uh, they probably were single. Uh, and and the, they, their idea of working on boats was to just kind of slap it together as best they could and, and uh, get it done. They're, they're highly skilled. They know how to make things right, but they were 
uh, fast and crude, loud, and uh, uh, probably a lot of language didn't go on there. But what amazed me most was that they had, uh, in, at the time, two different refrigerators full of beer in the shop. <laughs> <laughs> How far back is this? Oh, this would be probably uh, back in the late 60s. Yeah. yeah. Uh, OSHA, I don't think, would would have liked to walk into there. Uh, right. Uh, was OSHA invented by that point? Right, probably not. <laughs> um, back in the late 60s, I think that would have been after Bink uh, left the operation. Um, I forget who was running it by then. Um, but they were building boats then? Uh, I don't know if they were building. They were doing a lot of re- fish boat repair work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. Wooden boat sort of stuff. Was that under Junior Miller? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, I have another email. This one's from our friend Jeff Gold down in the Virgin Islands. Uh, hey, Jeff. Yeah. He, uh, he said, uh, if you want to see a Sim Davis boat, Walter Rich's, Chummy's younger yeah, brother, yeah. Walter Rich's work boat up in Bass Harbor is a Sim Davis boat. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, that rings a bell. So there you go. There you go. We put Walter in the spotlight, too. (laughs) Um, So anyway, didn't get back to to your favorite boat builder uh, question. Well, um, there's so many (laughs) wonderful stories. (laughs) (laughs) It's not necessarily my favorite boat builder. These stories uh, were just so wonderful. you know, just learning about those five rich brothers on Richtown, and you know, I loved the fact that it was a family enclave, and I was able to interview one of the uh, offspring, and you know, she remembered, you know, little awesome details like the pinky peach color of the paint that they applied mm. to the boat, and you know, playing, um, you know, all the. It was five brothers, so they had all their family members too, and the children, and playing the big baseball games out on the in the big field there. Yeah, so it's those, it's those kind of community tales that I, I yeah. really like. There's even a little rich cemetery right there too. There's indeed. There's a couple of rich cemeteries. Yeah, you can still see all those old gravestones going back to Elias Rich Senior. Wow, when is that? You know, 1800s sometime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rich heritage there. <laughs> Rich heritage, yep, yep. And I, I love the, um, you know, Henry Hinckley stories. Let me see if I could uh, quickly dig one up here. You talk for a minute while I look something well, up here. Yeah, Henry Hinckley, uh, if you knew him, uh, he was kind of a tough guy to like. <laughs> uh, unless you unless you were about to buy a Hankley, uh, he could be very friendly. But uh, he, uh, even even his sons will admit he was kind of a, a grumpy old man. Um, a grumpy old man, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, yeah. I was talking with uh, our occasional anchor here, Giffy Full, who um, unfortunately had a medical appointment today and couldn't make it in. But uh, I asked him if he'd ever worked with Henry and. If he said, yeah, I did a delivery with him one time. He says, that was the last time, too, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I have a little exchange in here between uh, Bob, uh, who is Henry's oldest child, and Bob's wife, Tina. Uh, Bob and Tina were remembering how strong 
Gwen Hinckley was Gwen being Henry's wife. And uh, Tina says, Gwen was a really strong person physically and emotionally. Bob says, oh, yeah, very stable. Had to be to live with my father. <laughs> Tina says, Henry was crazy in a way. Like a genius, Bob says, running around all over the place. <laughs> yeah, so. He was, yeah, he was yeah. He was very, uh, well, when I was working at Hinkley's many years ago, and he would come around, he, he would walk through the shop every day and keep an eye on everything. He was quite active. Yeah, yeah, crusty old coot Hank called crusty, him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I didn't, I didn't. Uh, envy the the foreman who had to explain things to Henry when Henry would see something that he didn't like. <laughs> but he was a pioneer with the fiberglass. He certainly was. Yeah, he got himself stuck. Or other, oh, Bob and Hank both remember, uh, you know, the resin going off and how many fires there were back in the day. Was that ha- still happening when you kind of started? Uh, well, there was a separate fiberglass building yeah. when I got there, so yeah. that, uh, if it burned down, it didn't ruin the shop. Yeah. But no, there weren't any fires when I was there. It was a little bit more scientific. A little more controlled and scientific, but apparently, you know, I mean, Henry and his his uh, uh, compatriots at the time were still figuring it out. What a fascinating uh, little piece of history that is. A lot of experimentation, getting the uh, the mixtures right. Um, he'd mix this and he'd mix that, and it would go smoking off. Hank said, um, "We had a fire a week down there." Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, one Sunday, I'll read this to you. One Sunday, Henry and Bink. Henry Bink was uh, who had Southwith boat. Uh, Bink was Henry's uh, distant in-law. Uh, they were laying up a little outboard. Bink had to go home for Sunday dinner, so Henry said he, he would finish up. Um, you leave the beer. Uh, Henry says. <laughs> so, so Hank is, t- is telling this. So Dad sat down, had a beer, then finished up, then sat back down, had a couple more beers, and tried to get up. He was stuck. His pants were stuck down. The uh, catalyst had uh, generated enough heat to make the uh, resin harden, and he'd resin had so much to drink that he didn't realize. <laughs> so he had to cut away the bottom of his pants to uh-huh. get up. <laughs> I should have seen you. probably didn't see any pictures of that one. No. <laughs> Um, did you know that the uh, very first fiberglass boat that Henry Hinckley w- wanted to build was one of his own designs? Yeah. The uh, 32-foot, I believe, uh, boat that he designed himself. Uh, he started to make a, a plug to uh, to make a, a fiberglass model of that one. Huh. And before the plug was completed, a group of investors from New York City contacted Henry and said, uh, we're interested in having a fiberglass boat. Are you interested in making a fiberglass boat for us? We have this one design that we'd like to have you make. Yeah. And uh, they had orders for either five or eight of them at the time. So Henry, realizing the finances of having, you know, building a spec boat from his own design or going with orders for five or eight at once, yeah. <laughs> immediately put the spec boat out in the backyard and that never never got completed. Yeah, was that the order for the Islanders? I'm, I'm it, was, it was a string of uh, of uh, one designs. Uh, the, the order that he started, no, it was B-40s. The oh, that was B-40s. B-40s oh, okay. were the, actually the very first uh, fiberglass boats that they built. Yeah. Now, I remember when you were rebuilding one of his personal boats. The Jan- How do you pronounce that? J-A-A-N. Yeah. A lot of people Did ask that. A lot of people think it's European, but actually, no, it's a combination of his two daughters, Jan and Anne. Yeah. But how so do you he pronounce pronounced, it? Uh, uh, Hank told me that they pronounce it Jan. Okay, Jan. Yeah, and I remember when you were rebuilding one about 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, his uh, 
well, it wasn't his first one, but it was at the, I believe it was his first fiberglass boat when they started making a, a series of fiberglass. So it was a Southwester Junior, okay. a 30-foot boat yeah. that he had for quite a while. Hank said when I, to, when I told him I was working on that, and he said, oh, I learned how to sail on that boat. <laughs> did you find that boat or did your customer find that boat? The customer found me, yeah. Found the boat? Found, yeah, it was for sale at the Hinkley Brokerage. Oh, I see, and, yeah. Uh, that was an interesting project. Yeah. Enough about me. Should <laughs> <laughs> so I go into interviewing mode pretty easily? one 8 If you had uh, anything that you'd like to contri- contribute to, uh, to Boat Talk, um, and also you can use the, our email. Let's see, we've gotten a couple so far at boattalk at gmail.com, too, which is an interesting new feature. Pretty soon we'll have all kinds of electronic things here, and I'll just have to just kick back and just push buttons. <laughs> <laughs> so you, uh, I'll, I'll bet, have another book in the, in the works. Well, I don't, actually. Y- yeah, oh. I don't. I mean, <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> Not even thinking about one. Well, I've uh, oh, yeah. kind of been having the juices running through my head, but I haven't settled on anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it, it would be great. Uh, perhaps to write a book about uh, boat building on the offshore islands, you know, the Cranberry Islands, as you mm-hmm. mentioned, uh, Swans Island. Yeah. Yeah, Frenchboro. That would be a, yeah interesting uh, research project. It would require several boat trips, which I, I would think would be quite a, quite a bonus. Yes, yeah, that would be nice. So um, you probably have some people who uh, might uh, want to have suggestions for you. So what's your contact for people who might want to get in touch with you uh, with either ideas or maybe pictures or whatever? Oh, sure. Well, my phone number, you mean? Uh, either. Yeah. Whatever you're comfortable with. Easy to look up. But anyway, it's 244-9614, or you can email me at laurie at profilesmain.com. Profiles Maine is a uh, another. Let's talk about your website. That's yeah, that's uh, uh, a <laughs> it's gone defunct <laughs> at this point. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, we have a a phone call from from Lindy in Southwest Harbor. Good morning, Lindy. Oh, hey, Lindy. Good morning on this beautiful day uh, that the Creator has made for us. Um, Lori, it's so good to hear your voice. Nice I just turned you. the radio on, <laughs> and I immediately recognized your your voice. Um, Thank you for sharing your wisdom. And I just, I didn't miss it. Are, uh, have you written a book or are you? Uh, yeah, I wrote Boat Building on Mount Desert Island, which came out this past April. Oh, wonderful. And does uh, uh, Sherman's have it? Sherman's does have it. Oh, great. I'm on my way. All right. Um, now, and maybe I missed it. Um, <clears throat> living on the island, I'm always struggling with the great class divide. A lot of my clients are <clears throat> extremely wealthy. I do massage therapy. But so, and it, it's, a, it's a struggle, but I, I, did I miss it? And I'll take it off the air, or maybe you can say, yeah, you already covered that. How did Henry Hinckley come to build boats? Did he go to school, or did he learn it from scratch, just sailing, or was he one of those geniuses that just knew how to uh, put things together? Henry was indeed a genius. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he I was. Imagine. He was an engineer. Yeah. Oh. He, his father is actually the one who uh, brought the family up to Manset, um, his, his parents, Ben and Agnes. Um, and um, what happened was that there was a small uh, 
boat repair storage yard next to their house um, in Manset. And um, that fellow, oh gosh, I'm looking through my book awful quickly. Is it Hans? His name was Hans. Uh, he, um, he died suddenly. And Ben uh, decided to kind of take over that yard. Oh, here it is, Hans Hansen, Swedish sailmaker, Erasmus Hansen. Um, okay, I'm going to finish listening off the air so, uh, so nobody else, uh, so somebody else can call. But thank you so, yeah. so much. So I'm really interested in hearing what you have to say now. Okay, yeah. thank, thank you. Mindy. Enjoy this yeah. beautiful weather. Yeah. Bye-bye. Well, Hans died suddenly, and Ben Hinckley decided to buy the place and to run it. Uh, so as Bob, uh, who is Henry's son, said, so my grandfather had to start running the damn place. <laughs> he said, well, okay, the boats are here. We'll launch them in the spring. And then I'm tearing the business down. And that'll be the end of it. Uh, nobody in the family had any intention of going into the boat business. So Ben Hinckley ran it for a year or so. Everything was a dollar, Bob said. An hour's labor was a dollar. A can of varnish was a dollar. A can of bottom paint was a dollar. He had it very simple. But then what happened was that Henry, uh, this Bob Ben's son, graduated from college, and he came up, and he, uh, it was 1932, and Henry was 25, um, and um, he was, became interested in the operation, and um, he just sort of took over from his father and built his first wooden boat. How do you pronounce that? Ruth Aolin. I can write things, but I don't necessarily pronounce them, (laughs) Um, uh, for a fisherman. And, um, you know, kind of took over from there, took off from there. And that's how Henry got his start and uh, his... His crew, he he was very good, and he had a crew around him um, that you know helped him kind of gain the skills as he went along. He knew, yes, he he was very good on hiring people who uh, who knew their 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 field, and uh, he was very good about keeping them too. There were times when uh, uh, the boat business building was a little slow, and he would actually put up some. Uh, project boats just to keep the people he had working yes, for him. Yes, he, he was very meticulous about keeping the, uh, the crew with him and uh, putting up his own money to do that if it was needed, you know, selling off his own uh, and, and his wife's possessions mm-hmm. uh, in some cases and to keep the crew going. Yeah. And uh, he valued their input tremendously every morning. Um, um, he had the crew gathered uh, in the yard, and they were just knocking around ideas, and then off they went. Yep. Yep. As, uh, <clears throat> keeping things on an even keel is what yeah. I, exactly what he did there. Yeah. I have another email, just a, a little thank you, but I'll read it quickly. Uh, this is from David down in New Jersey. David says, best show on the radio. I build and restore small boats and canoes in northwest New Jersey. Thanks to a few classes at Wooden Boat School in Brooklyn. Visited Ralph Stanley's shop years ago in Southwest Harbor. No power tools allowed to run in my shop during your show. <laughs> Too much noise. Love traditional designs. Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Dave. one 866 We have just a few minutes left in Boat Talk if you'd like to call in or... Uh, boattalk at gmail.com if you wanted to send a... a, a an email, but 
we'll go back um, to uh, Henry's uh, Henry's uh, transition, I guess, from a, a, a small wooden boat builder to a a factory. Well, you know, World War II came uh, that was it. came chugging in, and um, <clears throat> Henry uh, and Bink were running the Mansett Boatyard on the one side of the harbor and Southwest Boat on the other. And Henry was a whiz for nailing down contracts with the War Department to build war boats. And together, over the next few years, they built over 500 war boats. Farnham Butler up the head of uh, some sound was also building war boats. But um, Henry and Bink were really the ones turning They received them out. a special award, I believe. They did. They received a combined Army-Navy-E, which was very rare to get a combined award like that. And um, they hired an awful lot of the existing boat builders in the area and also the younger men who became boat builders. Mm -hmm. yep. One thing that uh, they were particularly good at was uh, minesweepers because mm -hmm. uh, when you think about it, uh, having a metal boat when you're looking for mines is probably not a good idea. Yeah. So the wooden boats were uh, very good for that, that thing. And they... Uh, became, uh, I guess, probably the national leader in um, making minesweepers, yeah. wooden minesweepers. Yeah. And fiberglass was being developed around that time. Fiberglass was yeah. made originally to be a, a cover for the radar domes for when they were inventing radar uh, in World War it. II, and then huh. they needed a cover to protect the, uh, the equipment, so they came yeah. up with fiberglass yeah. and making these big circular things, and then somebody says, well, you know, we can make them other shapes, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and off it went. Yeah, yeah. And that's when he got into the fiberglass. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, just a couple of minutes left here at Boat Talk. Um, we've given you your, your contact, but let's just for for uh, to be sure to yeah. give you your contact information again, or how uh, people can get a hold of your book, also. Yes. Okay. So. Um, my email address is Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E, at profilesmain.com. And uh, to get my book, you can go online and just type in my name or Boat Building on Mount Desert <laughs> Island, and you'll get to uh, Amazon or Arcadia uh, Publishing. Or you can go, you know, type in Arcadia Publishing and then type in my name. Either way will work. Sherman's Bookstore, <laughs> any other local stores? Um, some of the local, like, um, you know, variety stores um, carry my books. And, again, uh, my memory is getting too mm -hmm. <laughs> old to work at the moment. Um, but a lot of the bookstores around Maine carry it. Bookstacks in Bucksport and uh, Wooden Boat Bookstore. Down East Press put it out? Uh, Arcadia Publishing. Ar Arcadia Publishing, put that's it right, out. yeah. Yeah. So uh, thank yeah. you to them, too, for... Yeah. They and do it, a terrific job. They do a lot of local history, so uh -huh. this fit in perfectly with their mission. They probably have a website, too. Uh, I'm guessing Arcadia Publishing. Arcadia Publishing. Yeah. You can go directly to that to find my book. Okay, that uh, pretty much brings us up to an end, I think, of the uh, boat talk for this week. Uh, thanks to Amy down in the engine room for keeping things chugging along fine. Rich Hillsinger will be up next with on the wing here at 11 o'clock on WERU-FM Blue Hill 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor and around the world at WERU.org. Thank you, Lori. It's Thank been you. a pleasure having you on Bull Talk. Thank you for having me. We'll have you back again sometimes. <laughs>
Support for WERU comes from our listeners 